Today, I've got a big fucking announcement. On Wednesday, July 27th at 9 p.m. Eastern, myself and the amazing lifestyle apparel brand, Fuel Hunt, are dropping our Do What You Can't merch collab. Do What You Can't is an unoriginal mantra that I've embodied in all my life's accomplishments. I was told, you can't open a gym. Nobody will ever join. Then it was, you can't buy a commercial building. You don't have enough money. And how about when I was told, you can't create a new micro gym model. Everything has already been done. Well, guess what, fuckface? All those things you said I can't do, I did. I grew my business from a lonely park boot camp to one of the most successful gyms in town. I saved my money, busted my ass, and I bought a million-dollar building. I separated my brand from the pack by studying the industry and creating a microgym model that had never existed prior. Do What You Can't is a life mantra that gives permission to anyone with the dream to ignore the doubters, put their head down, and get to work. So go check out the link in my bio and pre-order your Do What You Can't merch. If you've owned any apparel from Fuel Hunt, you know these guys only use the highest quality fabrics and create the dopest designs in the game. So head on over to the link in my bio or check out fewwillhunt.com and start rocking a public fuck you to those who say we can't. What is up, guys? It is Stu, and it is another episode of the What the Fuck Gym Talk podcast. And I've got Tim Lyons on the on the horn. And Tim is coming to us from Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, I don't know when it was. It was just recently. You shot me a DM. Uh, Tim slid in my DMs on Instagram. We got to connect professionally. I obviously had heard of you. I knew who you were. Um, but that was the first time we'd ever interacted. And, you know, we through scheduling, uh, ping pong and, and whatever, we finally got this thing booked. So, man, I really appreciate you taking the time to come in and, uh, and talk shop. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Stu. And I would tell you that, yes, I slid into your DMs uh, because I'm a, a listener of your show and okay. I have my own as well. And I, yeah. you know, it's very rare that I find somebody that I can stick around and listen to on a regular basis. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it's great, great, entertaining, but very educational as well. Yeah. I appreciate I, I'm just out of, I'm always out of curiosity. I'm always one of my things, especially in marketing. I'm always really curious about the origin of procurement. Like, I, how did you find me? Because I'm one of the few guys that do kind of what we do. I've never ran an ad a day in my life. So I'm always very curious when someone found, finds my shit. Yeah, great question. Um, I, it's probably Instagram. I was fishing through Instagram. You probably had a hashtag that I was following and it sure, popped okay. up and I started kind of connecting that way. But yeah, yeah that's that's probably it. The I don't know. The beauty of social media, man. The beauty of social media. Well, well we connected and then I started, I, I like I went and looked and you've got a great high production uh, value podcast and you guys have done a great job with that. What is the name of your co-host on that again? Randy Angston. Okay. Randy. Yeah, Randy. He's great. He's great too. I was listening to the one you guys did that just dropped today, you know, fixing the problem once. And it was such a, such a relative topic. Um, but I think, you know, like I told you for today, if anyone's listening, Tim's been on a, a about 11 fucking hundred podcasts. He's got a great backstory. If you, if you're not familiar with it, go fish that out. But I'm going to, I'm going to let him give a quick background to give some context. But honestly, I wanted this to feel more like a conversation of two guys who have a career in the fitness industry, unfucking other people's businesses. And <laughs> I think you and me just kind of talking shop on that and yeah. where we see the industry going would be more entertaining for them. But just for anyone who may be not familiar, what's the quick bio? Quick bio. Uh, yeah. So you named it Scottsdale, Arizona. That's where, uh, you know, that's where I'm at. I, I started in this industry in 2009. I opened up a gym, um, you know, down the street from where I'm at now. 
started as a, a very anytime fitness-esque model where you came in, used the equipment, but we had training if you wanted it. Uh, quickly learned that wasn't going to make me any money and I was going to be closed in a matter of a year if I didn't make some changes. And so we, we quickly transitioned to a training club back in you know 2010, scaled out of that place, uh, moved into a new location uh, about two blocks away. You know, now we're at 8,000 feet. Again, training only, very specific and semi-private training here. Um, now kind of, you know, back in 2015, we started with, you know, funnels, marketing, Facebook ads for a lot of gyms. We, we grew really quickly. It was uh, literally me and my buddy, Randy, who's now my co-host. We, I pulled him in the office like, man, I'm blowing up here. I'm doing this all myself. I need some help. Um, and so not only were we doing, you know, the Facebook marketing and the funnels and the automation on the back end for gyms, but we, we literally blew up in a matter of nine months to, you know, $1.6 million in revenue for two people in an office. Um, I felt like I was kind of first to market in that space. Uh, I quickly moved out of that, uh, learning very quickly when we were driving in so many leads year after year for these gyms and you look at their business and they're in the same place that we were after 5,000 leads have gone through their gym. Like what's, is this really solving the problem? I, I didn't feel like it was. So we've got into business coaching uh, about three years ago, and that's really where we, where we're at today with ProFit. Started the podcast off after the book. I've got a book called Built to Grow, kind of built the podcast after that called Built to Grow Podcast. And I think we're at like uh, coming up 250 episodes. So it gets a little yeah. tougher to find topics after about that many episodes. But yeah, speaking, uh, I'm big into the automation side of the world, um, coaching and yeah, and run the gym. So I'm still an operator like yourself. So that I think that carries a lot of weight, especially when we're working with gyms is no, it, we didn't sell it because it wasn't working. And now we're trying to teach you what we thought we should have done. We were doing it, right? We're doing it every day and we're yeah. successful at it. And uh and yeah, and so, you know, like I said before, I found you through the Instagram. I've been listening to your stuff, awesome stuff. And uh, yeah, I'm glad I'm glad we could connect today yeah, after like absolutely. the ping pong match. Yeah, absolutely. Tim, mm -hmm. how old are you? I'm 41. Okay, 40. I'm 35. Uh, do you ever think about the day you retire from actually being an owner or operator? Absolutely. In fact, that's the next move I'm doing. I didn't really speak to it, but we, we bought uh, four acres of land. I'm building a shopping center. We're building our new gym and that's my exit strategy. Right? That's yeah. So I, in 2016, I, I purchased some commercial real estate in Charlotte um, in a, in a really good location, probably the last million dollar building you could buy there. Everything is now probably two, three X that. Yeah. And, uh, and same thing. I, it's been funny, man. I don't know about you. So I, I, I got in this around like 15 years old. So, you know, for the past 20 years, that's kind of been my identity. And it, it was hard for me to really accept the fact that at some point I bought this building, but I'm not the, as a bit, as a landowner, having my gym in it is not the best utilization of 10,500 square feet. Sure. I, even the best gym I could fucking run ever would not net me as much money as I will make when I lease it out to a brewery. You know, at, I would you know, agree. And a lot of people have that. That's a tough pill to swallow for a lot of gym owners. It's, identity, it's an identity crisis for a moment. Sure. And, and, and I think you're the right, like when I think I heard you talk about that and I was like, yeah, I mean, I feel like we're kind of on the same path. You're, you know, several years younger than me, but yeah, this is a big, uh, big play for me. It's a, uh, you know, well into the $5 million range with this thing. It's, yeah. it's, it's going to be, it's, it's a heavy first, you know, development 
you know, project, right? Yeah. It's like, I'm, and you're doing a legit, I mean, you're gonna have a multi, you're a multi-tenant fucking yeah. commercial class, uh, setup. And that's, you're right. That's some heavy, that's a, is that your first foray into commercial? It is, but uh, my backstory is all in construction. I have a construction management degree. I went. To, I played football at Louisiana Monroe. Yep. It's a, a real shit school up in uh, the northeast corner of Louisiana. But uh, we got a chance to play a lot of SEC schools in big stadiums. Played, you know, Tennessee and that. I wouldn't change that for the world. But I got you know that degree in construction management, and I went off and I and I was in Newport Beach building you know like laboratories and hotels and you know all kinds of cool stuff. So I have a, a really good background. After about 20, 2007, eight, when the the whole economy crashed, I got thrown on the street. Thank God I had already built the gym at that point, so it forced me into the in. gym business. Yeah. And I had an athletic background. I was into sports and training already. So it was kind of like a dual edge thing. So I, I went from one industry to the other, and now I'm flipping back to the other industry. So I feel really good about this project. I'm not scared. It's a, uh, you know, it'll pucker you up on some stuff, especially what just happened last week. And, and you know, the price skyrocketed on me a million bucks. And now I got to figure out how to get that back down. But yes, the long-term game plan for me, and I think for any gym owner listening, if you go back and look at your P&Ls for the last five, six years and look how much rent you've put in to a, some other, some, so some landlord's bank account, that should be your answer as to whether or not you should own real estate. 100%. And I, you know, so I came up in the 2006 era when CrossFit was a, um, was a good stock tip. It wasn't a good stock yet, right? Nobody knew what the fuck it was. Back in 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10, I could, I could scream CrossFit up and down the streets. Nobody gave a fuck what I was talking about, but I got in early enough, but that was right after 08 and Greg Glassman, the founder put out this, this article in the, the CrossFit journal about go light industrial, go flex industrial space. You'll get a fucking year free. You'll get the dirt cheapest rent because after the crash, landlords were just fucking giving it away. If you sign a five-year lease, I'll give you the first nine months free. Like they were doing anything to get their asses out from the fire. Um, and everyone went that industrial route. The problem with that, especially because we, we, you know, yeah, as much I have a ton of love for CrossFit. CrossFit is the largest license model in the history of fitness. No one's ever produced 16,000 units of anything in the fitness industry, uh, brick and mortar wise. But everybody bought or leased in gentrified areas, low areas, these places. And what we know what's happened since 2008, the economy's done really fucking good. Now people come up for rent renegotiation and they're like, holy shit, I got to pay 31 bucks a square foot. I was paying 12, 10 years ago. What the hell? And now they have to leave. But as a micro gym, guess what? Everybody, I don't give a fuck about your community. It's convenience. You are conveniently located to things in their life. And if you have to move 15 minutes the other side of town, because that's now the, the next place you can get that low of whatever rent, you're fucked or you're not in a great position. Yeah. And I can, I saw that around the time I opened my gym CrossFit was, there were several CrossFits out here. In fact, um, I, I went as far as got, I got my own CrossFit certification. I didn't okay. do much. That's about as far as I got into it. Um, you know, we ran a little bit of that. Uh, you know, we had some coaches that were CrossFit, but long story short is I couldn't understand going in the back, you know, of a air park of, uh, you know, and trying to find out where do they go? Like we, we spent a lot on our first place. We we're in a major shopping center right on the street front here, you know, like 88,000 cars a day. 
we had a, we had a very good storefront, but we paid for it. I had three thousand square feet. I think I was paying uh, just under ten grand a month. Oh, okay, wow. so three thousand for ten grand, right? So yep. that would that would put some people out of business right away sure. at the CrossFit space. So yes, I'm happy we took that by because I think you can't not. I mean, that is your marketing right there. You're getting all the traffic you want. It's right. You're right in the shopping center. Yes. So I agree to that. And I definitely think, you know, land, real estate, uh, you know, anyone who's read Guy Kawasaki, anyone like wealth is in the dirt kids. And I think a lot of people understand that. However, I do see, and I've, I've actually been brought in and worked with some gym owners who their main reason they're super excited about owning a building is because they can own a building for less than they're renting. And in my head, I guess that's okay. But I truly look at it as like, okay, you now have joined the 0.001% of micro gym owners that are going to own commercial real estate. That's a very small group of individuals. Yes, yes. For you to only think the benefit there is having cheaper rent. No, like, so I, I joke around. I tell my guys, when I, when I st- bought my building, I made a, uh, a tax, what's called a tax cash management strategy. It was like, I'm going to siphon as much cash out of the gym business so I run very narrow, enough that everyone gets paid and all that other stuff, but narrow profit margins. And I'm going to charge myself out the ass and rent so my real estate company shows a fat profit. Because in That's five years, so smart, I want to yeah. buy the next fucking building. I don't care if the gym sits at a 4% profit margin. As long as everything gets paid and I charge myself out the ass over there, the bank will look at my real estate holdings company and be like, ah, you guys have done good over the past five years. Sure. You want another $2 million to go do it again? Booyah. Here you go. And I, I try to unlock that in some guys that real estate is not a short-term get a cheaper solution kind of scenario. Like you should be thinking about this long-term. I mean, it's legacy. Like your kids will probably inherit a shopping plaza, right? Or something yeah. to that effect. Like and the, the most ironic thing about what you just said, uh, I think that way. And I know that that's the right way, but the, the, the new gym we're rebranding from pulse fitness to legacy okay. for that reason it's on legacy Boulevard. Like oh, it's 9,100 legacy. So all yeah. the stars align. Yeah. And yes, we, we are definitely going to do it again. I, I've got to get this one done. I, yep. I think we'll, we'll have it done in seven, eight, nine months from now. We'll have a full shopping center, 20 plus thousand square feet, probably 10 tenants in there. And yeah, the, the things you can do at that point are limitless. Did you do right. any, did you do an SBA 504 or anything for this? This is all traditional loans. It's SB. Yeah, exactly what it is. 504. 504 yeah. Yep. The 504 program is fucking great. If anyone's listening, the, the big thing with the 504 program, you only have to put around 10% down versus a traditional, you'd be looking 20 or 30%. And when you're talking one, two or $5 million, this is serious cash. However, you've got to occupy a certain percentage of the building. And I think for the, like mine, they wanted me to occupy 51%. Yeah. Right? yeah. I think so it's, I sublease. I think it's 60%, but 60%, yes. Okay. So, you know, you could sublease and things like that. Um, and I, and I'm actually currently working with the SBA because, you know, we are, we have the building listed for lease. Cause I'm just curious what the market, right. So like I bought, you know, I pay, you know, I, we got the building at around $16 a square foot is what the rental rate was now. Currently mm-hmm. right now, if I rent that shit out 35 bucks a square foot. Beautiful all day, every day. And, and so we're sitting on it. We're, we're not going to pull the trigger quite yet, but uh, I've got to check with the SBA because obviously the SBA is not giving out money for guys like you and me to start real estate empires. They're, They're only doing it for owner operators who are going to be inside the building. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. And they have that prepayment penalty. Like yeah. we, we looked at the seven a really hard. We yep. were close on the seven a there was something that happened. We couldn't, we, anyways, we shifted to the five Oh four 
and uh, if they're, hopefully they're not listening, SBA is not listening to this, <laughs> but uh, we, we have three buildings on the project. We're building two because we got to occupy 60%. Yeah. As soon as that loan closes, we're boom, we're doing yeah. that third one. That's so that's awesome, man. Awesome. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a game. Uh, we have to do a secondary financing on the second one. But long story short, yes, thirty one. I think I I think I pay eighteen dollars a foot here in this location, and okay. I will be paying myself twenty five dollars a foot at the new location, and everybody else will be paying thirty seven dollars a foot. Yeah, um, it's it's heavy rent up here, so it sounds like it's the same there. It is. It's Charlotte's they've gone class A numbers that I just I never thought that we'd hit, and I I was honestly like okay. 2026, 2027, I'll look at leasing it out. And then during COVID, um, I was like, when it first happened, I was like, I'm just going to throw this flare up in the air just to see what kind of bites we get. Mm -hmm. I got more hits during COVID people wanting to rent out, like lease out the entire building than I did anything. And I didn't move on them because I was like, ah, I don't know how long this is going to last. The the gym's good. I don't want to fuck with that. We were launching a license model at the time. So I needed an HQ for all the licensees to come to and learn the systems. And, um, but I just couldn't believe commercial real estate didn't slow down a fucking tick. It's not, it's going up. It's going up. I don't know what's going to happen. There's a lot of uncertainty i would tell you like if you're building a, a project right now you're in you're in bad shape this is yeah. probably the worst time to build the cost is just i'll give you a great example we we were we started we've already broken ground we had we had a, like a first phase kind of negotiated deal that just to get them going while we were working out the rest of the pricing so you've got you know you know the masonry the concrete electrical plumbing all this stuff's got to go in we're dirt up so we're taking the underground, we have to put dry wells in and sewer systems and all kinds of fun stuff. We have to move a damn traffic light in signal. And so we, we put it one last time, we're just getting a finalized bids. Like we're going to contract. This is it. It was supposed to be on Friday before 4th of July. I get an email at 4:38 PM and I look at it on my phone and I'm like thinking about the weekend. I'm like, what the fuck this happened? It, the pricing for my project went up $1.6 million. And their reasoning for this is our subcontractors are so busy that they're just throwing prices out. If you want to do the project, we'll do it for that. But we're not, we're too, but we don't need the work. Yeah. They don't need the work. Supply and demand is in totally in their favor. Yeah, and got nailed. So now we're we're scrambling. We got another GC on board, and we're repricing this thing out. But we'll still get it done. It's just how how does it just go from five to six point six in an email? Similarly, we had budgeted out our upfit. So the building I bought was nine sixty. So nine hundred sixty thousand for the building, and we budgeted the upfit around one seventy five. Well, of course, the city comes in with rezoning and this and that. My upfit went from one seventy five to three seventy five. Double. So, yeah. and I just didn't have 200 K sitting liquid under my mattress to go ahead and, and do that. Like we had I, me and my partner went in on it. We, we were able to cover it, but that's the brokest I've been since before I opened the gym. I mean, I put all the chips in the center of the table to push this thing through the finish line, right. but it's like, it's one of those things that when you're doing this SBA 504, you're doing a project like this, you sign off with the bank and the CDC and the, and you know, the SBA, Bro, there's no going back. Like, there's no rewinding that or unwinding that clock. Like, when you have price jumps and things like that that happen, and we all know construction is generally going to be probably what 30% over budget and way off the timeline, typically, uh, all the time. It's tough, man, because there's some people that, like, I don't have any reserves there. I have no fallback. And it, it just, you, you can get into a tough situation. Yes. Yeah. I would agree to that. Yeah. You got to come out of pocket, find private financing or something. Yeah. 
you know, I, I'd see the numbers in, in five years from now, and it's just such a no brainer. There's, I'll put it to you this way and you'll agree. You can, I can't make the profit over uh, at the gym in 10 years that I can do in two years over Never. there. And for, Bot, and with bottom the, line. With the amount of hands-off work. Correct. Once, cause it just appreciates, right? It's an yeah. asset. Yeah. It's an right. asset and it's, it does, there's no front desk girl calling in and quitting you know, on Tuesday before, before rush hour. So I get it. Uh, so any of you guys listening again, I, and the reason I think I started bringing this up, I had a huge identity crisis. I was like, wait a minute, is, am I going to get called out? Cause I no longer own a gym one day and I'm giving business advice. Like I'm not, not a gym one. Like, that's just like you. I've always thought the thing that made my content maybe stand out from the barrage of fucking Alex Hermosi wannabes that have hit the internet since 2016 has been, I still own a gym. I didn't exit it, and which we all realized was probably really unsuccessful. You probably got paid pennies on the fucking dollar for what you put into it. Or nothing. Yeah, or nothing. It closed doors. No, I still got this fucking thing. People, I have gym owners visit every month. And like, so that was always like a thing I've always held on to, a prideful thing. Like, I'm sure you have as well. And then I'm like, but then one day I'm going to shut it down. And I'm going to go play real estate agent, a real estate uh, entrepreneur and consultant will they still listen to me if I don't own a gym anymore? And I, that was a huge, I mean, I've got a, a business coach slash psychiatrist and he's and he had to fucking work that shit out of my brain for a minute. Cause I was really self-conscious about that. And what did you come up with? Like where were you that, at? This, he, you know, the way he put it to me, he's like, Stu, pretend you walk into a bar and you talk to you 10 years from now. And it's like, Hey man, what do you do? I'm Stu. Well, tell me your story. Well, I started, you know, uh, exercise physiology and then I found CrossFit and then I, I grew my own business out of a park and I eventually bought this building and I opened a gym in it and uh, I've been a really successful gym owner. He's like, cool. Now, how about that story? Everything there. But then after I was a gym owner, I created a licensed model and we have 10 locations across the US. And then I shut down my own location. I still oversee that, but now I own real estate and I do this other thing and I consult. Like he's like, which one of those stories seems like it has the most growth, the most interesting lifestyle. Not that being a gym owner forever isn't interesting. I don't want anyone to think I'm saying that, but I sure as fuck don't want to still be a gym owner when I'm 50. No, no. Right. When I'm 60, I, I want to, I want to have evolved into something different. Yes. And I, I see where your head's at because a lot of the, the gym owners are, they're younger. Like I started when I was 29, right? Yeah. I was 29 years old, opened the gym and, and I would look at a guy that maybe didn't own a gym anymore. Not maybe not in the same light as I do now that, that closed and went on to real estate investment and owns, you know, apartment complexes and two other businesses on the side. I would respect that more being older than maybe my younger me. Yeah. So so it's a, it's a teeter totter. Yeah. Well, eventually that I told you, that's my exit goal. I'll sell the gym or I'll sell the building. Like it's that there's, I'm out. Like, yeah. I don't need to be a gym owner after, no, after it. 20 years. Right. Yeah. I, I've done it. I've also found that once it, like I started WTF gym talk in 2015 and that's when I really kicked on like traveling. Like the day I heard a con body, I went to New York and checked out con body. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, like I, I, the more I got out of my own place and I started putting myself in other people's shops and introducing, getting to meet cool people like you and talk to other operators and owners, my ability to consult at a, it was at a completely different fucking level. I almost think it was imperative. Like I, I, I have an office at my, uh, my gym at the building. I rarely go to it anymore. I rarely go to, I'm literally after you two hours from now, three hours from now, I go to the airport to catch a flight to Portland. I'm going up to Portland. Okay. I'm, I'm interviewing a, a company called street parking online programming, 
business. They do 30, they have 30,000 online clients. They're doing around $500,000 in recurring monthly revenue nice. as nice. an online entity. And um, yeah, just like being able to expand it. I'm sure like, uh, as you found with your podcast, even working with gym owners, like I, I became a better consultant, co whatever the fuck you want to call us. When I, when I wasn't as inundated with my gym, I got, I was tasting and testing and talking to people about all their shit. Yeah. And the more people that you talk to, it's the same problems come up over and over and you've solved it once you can solve it again and again. And then there's other ways to solve those same problems. But yeah, I, I I'm with you on that. I, Yes, I've been in more gyms than I can count, right? There's your every city I go to, I know somebody that owns yeah. a gym. I'm popping in, I'm checking it out, I'm walking around, I'm looking at the, you know, the, the equipment, I'm looking at the the paint schemes and the music. You notice other things where, yeah, yeah if you weren't out traveling, you wouldn't notice that stuff as yeah. much. So I'm it's, with you. Yeah. And you know, I I, one thing I'm curious to get your take on, especially because you've done you've done this thing successfully. And when I say this thing for everyone listening, I'm Owning the break, owning something really well, and then um, getting to a point where you are producing content about it that uh, that makes you appetizing and palatable, but then also having a service on the back end, a consulting, a business coaching, and I don't know about you. I again, I'm going to give. Alex Hermosi probably credit towards it. I mean, that was the explosion of the six week challenge thing, and you've seen so many people I mentioned earlier kind of go to that. And there are so many fitness business gurus that essentially are just standing behind a, a, a click funnels system that was created by 10 guys before them, whatever it may be. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you were seeing all that go down in like 2014, 15, 16, 17, like, and it was really hitting the hype and, and not that, and again, I've had Alex on the podcast, very brilliant, smart business guy, regardless of whether you like his methods, his ethics or whatever the fuck it may be. And you can't deny, you can't uh, denounce the, the business he's built. What was, you, how do you view that? How do you feel like that's done for the industry for the average micro gym? Like, what do you think about that whole scheme? That was the six week challenge uh, duration based marketing campaign agency. Oh, that's a, such a deep question. Uh, I have a lot of, lot of input on this. I know Alex personally, I was in the inner circle with Russell Brunson with him back before oh, wow. he okay. even started that. I, um, and we, in fact, he flew out here and we, we talked about partnering together on that play. We went different directions for a lot of reasons, but, uh, he ran off and, and started, I guess he calls Jim it Jim Lodge. Yeah. He started that right. That right. That dinner, he went that way and I went this way. And unfortunately, I think it hurt way more gyms than it helped. And, and, you know, and he'll probably argue that point, but I can tell you that after that rise and fall, and I have a podcast on this episode 50 is probably one of our top five that talks about this specific uh, topic The once the rise and the fall, and we were getting the backlash of the gym owners calling for help and they're closing their doors and they're struggling, um, I felt it was the worst thing that could happen to this industry was the magic bullet. That's going to save the day. It has nothing to do with the business systems has no, it just gets a shitload of people in under false pretenses into their gym to lose weight for X amount of dollars. And you're playing this game against you versus them. Do you really want them to lose the weight? So you got to refund the money. It's like this, it's like the counterintuitive approach to really what we're trying to do is help people. We, we shouldn't need some scheme to get them in the door. Now I do think it did get some people off the couch 
to move their ass. And I think that's great, right? If we can help more people, I think that's the ultimate goal. But as far as the business side of it, it ruined gyms. It ruined them. And it put this, this thought into gym owners that all I need is the next play. What's the next big play. And I'm going to save the gym today. Yeah. Like that's in, and, 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 and it's not, it's not going to happen. Yeah. I, uh, you know, let's, let's even take, I'm going to take a cold approach to it. Like, yeah, let's say I, I don't really care. Like I own a business, whether people improve their lives or whatever, good, great grand, but I, I'm here to provide a service and they pay a premium for the service. And as long as I, you know, that's it. The thing I always looked at that didn't make that I the biggest issue I had with it is that it was a client acquisition system, and for businesses that had the tensile strength of a fucking piece of yarn, right? Like you turn on that water hose, and it just it broke instantly. There was no like pressure testing prior or like prepping of the business. Now again, if I'm running Alex's business and I my goal is to make as much money as possible, I do the same thing he did with the type of marketing he did. If that is my my goal and objective, my the things I liked about it, it did educate. Like when I got to work with people post gym launch, they at least knew how to set up a campaign. Like they were more prepped on sure. backend ads manager. I mean, previously to that, it was like I was talking to Chinese to people, teaching them how to set up their pixel and all this other stuff is such a pain in the ass. So that was nice because I had these, they had an education and they also now valued the concept that you got to have a brand and the client acquisition system go hand in hand. I mean, how many CrossFit gyms? These are CrossFit gyms, people climbing 20 foot ropes, without their legs, shirtless snatches and doing muscle ups and flipping tires. But then they're advertising in this white background with neon red and neon green font, a six week fluffy muffin challenge, gut buster. Like it didn't make sense. It doesn't even match. Like what you do in this gym does not match this landing page and these gimmicky fucking ad videos of Alex, like an interruption video with Alex would like turn around or Layla, his wife would jump into the video and do their thing. I'm like, it doesn't add up. Do you not understand that you're, you know, you're mix and matching here. This is round peg square holes. And now I think a lot more people understand that you've got to have, you know, establish a brand and then the marketing behind it, it's got to go hand in hand. You nailed it, right? And um, here was a great example. Everybody around me did it, right? They they were running his thing, and I would yeah. I would see like there's this place called Fitwall. They're out of business for good reason, but they don't even have weights in there, right? They don't even have they have a wall or something. I, I, I it was funny because they actually occupied the space I moved out of when I moved to the new place. They took my old space and created this Fitwall place. They ran this six week thing. And I'm watching the videos and they're using like hex, hex bars to do like, you know, had two girls hanging off. Like you guys don't even offer that. You even have like, hex you, bars. Yeah. You, you even see the pro they don't see the problem. Yes. There is all about getting people in the door and you can look at it one of two ways. You can look at it. Like you just said, it doesn't match. Like, what are we really doing here? We have a cr identity crisis or probably from the gym owners that are doing it standpoint, they're like, I don't care. I need people in the fucking gym. I just need to get money. And, yeah. and it ended up ruining them. Like, I don't know of many gyms that came out of that super successful. They had a bunch of people that came in under the wrong reasons. They're, they were there for six weeks mentally. They got out of the six weeks, they hit their goal or not. They're, they're most likely leaving. If they stayed, the, the way it worked was they took that $500 or whatever, and they credited it and it lowered the long-term EFT. So now you got clients in there paying less per month. And now you got this other, so it's time to renew. You, you're going to charge them your normal rate. Well, then they're gone. It's just, it was 
there were so many things wrong with it. And if you want to hear my take, it, I, I've done this about two years old now. Episode 50 on my show is deep on it. And I, I talked about the pros and the cons because there are some pros. Sure. But yes, it's funny that you bring this up. It's long gone now. I don't know if they're doing it anymore. I don't pay really that close attention. Anymore. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I still see and I'm serving. I still see gym launch ads uh, on the regular. Um, and it's, it's one of these things now where, I, you know, I'm sure the scheme is different. I'm sure it's whatever. Um, and again, it, it, there's definitely, like you said, there's inherent value to, to that. It, do you need to spend $16,000 and then break your fucking gym with on trying to onboard? Like I, and again, I'd love to know what's your number. Uh, gym owner asked me, Stu, how many, like how many new appointments, like consultations or trials should I be aiming for per month? My answer without knowing dick about them, which I'm like 30, one a day, let's call it 25. So assuming most micro gyms are closed on Sunday, maybe right. Mm-hmm. One a day. It, it doesn't seem unreasonable for me to me for you to get one new person to try your service per day. I'm not saying closing one a day, just getting nice. one new body in the door. I found the bottleneck in the micro gym industry. These people I work with, it's truly not sales. Like I love coaching sales, but I'll be honest. I always found like, eh, they actually, if I get them in the door, these guys, even though they don't really know why they're selling, like they don't understand, they don't have actual sales acumen, they're actually doing a decent job. Um, now, if they don't buy, they do a horrible job of follow-up, a horrible job of lead nurture. But if that motherfucker comes in the door, most of these gym owners, whether they know how or why they're doing it, are doing a decent closing percentage. Sure. So the number one thing is, okay, they got to get in the door. That's the number one sale that has to happen. Them physically walk into the space, take time out of their day, schedule a tour, whatever. Yep. And you know, I always, I'm, I give these guys, I'm like, shoot for one a day. Once you've hit one a day successfully, then you scale from there. But this idea that gyms needed a hundred leads a month, a hundred appointments a month, it's unfathomable. Like unless you're gold's gym with a staff of seven sure. and fucking $20,000 a month in, in marketing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think you nailed it with that. You know, if you can do one a day, that's fair. Get two a day on some days, yeah. zero on the uh, yeah. Average yeah. it out, average it out. That's that's true, and and I think uh, you, even if they're not that good at sales, you got to think about that person that took time out of their day, rescheduled their appointments, drove over there, walked through the door. They're kind of already sold themselves. They wouldn't be there, so it's yeah. yours to lose. So so the fact that that they're closing deals, even if they don't know what they're doing, it kind of makes sense because they got the person there. They're there, right? Uh, but yes, then how do you deliver after you bring in 80 people in a month? Like, how do you, how do you deliver the experience that you want to deliver that? So everybody gets the same experience. So the other thing that was happening, and again, I, I, this will be the end of talk, talking about this because we're giving way too much credit here of, of what they're doing. What it did was all the gym owners and the trainers focused on this new batch of people coming in, leaving their other clients kind of like, why aren't they talking to me? Like, why aren't I getting all this stuff? And it kind of, again, animosity between your current clients and the new ones. And after that kind of wave went through and they ran it again, it, it happened again. And then those people, maybe that came in on that first challenge. Now they're getting left in the corner and work. They're all the, co- all the focus on this new batch. Yeah. And I think it should be the opposite. I have a question that I asked most gym owners. Would you rather grow, grow rapidly all at once or would you rather have steady, slow growth over a long period of time? Most go for the first one. I just need to get out of the hole today, but I, I don't see it that way. I look at the other way. Long-term growth is I, always I more sustainable. 
especially when you're like, okay, but you got to realize, okay, let's put, let's, let's say I had that magic button. I hit it and you get those 60 extra members that you need to be in the black. Do you know how long it takes to scale up an HR department to handle those things? Like, like I'll just hire another coach. Oh, really? Just going to fucking hire them like today. And they're going to be ready to go to coach your style, your way. No motherfucker. You're onboarding people. HR, you're talking at least four weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks of fucking work. And you think that you can, you're going to push this gym launch button, dump all these people in here, and you're, you're going to be able to meet the needs and scale the HR side of it that quickly, the customer service, the communications internal and external, you're fucking high. So again, like I, I think it would have done better had it just been, and again, it would not have made as much money. So it's countered probably to what Alex's goal is, but I think it just would have been better if they just pressure tested all these gyms first and like, eh, okay, you're good. I can pour this on top because you're firm here versus mm-hmm. pour it on top and then watch these 15 modules on how to, how to handle this. Um, yeah, they, yeah. That's the only way they could do it at scale. They were great salespeople. I yes. will give them, I will give them that Alex and his team sell any ice to an Eskimo. They could sell. Yeah. Yeah, for good incredible. or for good or for bad, but I, uh, I would love to hear from you, Stu. And this is was one of me, uh, you know, like selfishly. I know you come from the CrossFit world. I told you about as far as I got into CrossFit yeah. was getting the cert uh, over at Luke Air Force Base on a weekend. That's a cool spot to get a cert. A thousand bucks or whatever, fifteen. I don't even I don't remember. And then I I didn't do anything with it, and I'm glad I didn't because that wasn't really what I was. I was more on the athletic training side. But yeah. I would love to hear your thoughts into the future with all the changes that just happened, where do you see the model? You know, as far as I'll give you an example, do you see large group, small group, semi-private personal training, CrossFit, where, you know, a franchise orange theory style, like where, where do you, where, where is it going to all, where's the dust going to settle? You know, I'm keeping a close eye on what exponential is doing right now with their IPO. Um, You know, exponential owns, the probably the biggest portfolio of boutique, you know, franchise fitness brands in the country. And, and that's been a really impressive um, portfolio that they've put together. They just acquired rumble. Um, So I look at that and I look at the franchise scene and I'm, I think, I I think that's going to do well. I don't know how much bigger that's going to get large group. Let's put some numbers to what would be large group. You know, like your boot camp model, 58 to 15 to 20 plus with yeah. one coach, you know, yeah. all, all doing the same thing. The, the workout style makes is probably the most important because. Correct. I, I think the model is going to have to be because of commercial real estate. I think Orange Theory and Berries and F45 have the operational capacity dialed in. They have very simple, um, very, uh, what would we call it? Um, uh, inclusive and inviting workouts that don't require a lot of space, but can feed a bunch of people. So an or like the, the Barry's bootcamp right here, it's an 1800 square foot studio that has 52 people in it when it's sold out. So wow. your operational capacity is through the roof. However, what that, what that does though, it forces boredom on a long enough timeline. You can only go to your treadmill and then the dumbbells and then the treadmill and the dumbbells for probably about 12 months to 18 months. And then you're like, eh, I saw that other gym has a bunch of this other stuff that they do in their group class. I'm going to try that. Uh, there's another thing that's, I think, I think class pass and what I call the nomadic fitness person. I think that's going to continue to be very strong. Class pass has done over 65 million classes thus far. And I truly believe People dabble in fitness, or at least in some markets, metropolitan ones. Uh, I, I see them wanting to dabble in like they do the going out to a bar or restaurant. Like 
I go to this brewery, have a few beers and I go to this brewery. And on some days I like going to this one because they have that special and, and, you know, versus the commitment to one facility. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're personal training and small semi-private, I think you're able to, you're able to dodge that nomadic fitnesser. That's not even your, that's not your avatar. Um, but I, you know, I'm in a real metropolitan city, young professional. I mean, my gym probably, you know, we do a couple thousand dollars with the class pass revenue per month. Now, granted, we locked in a good rate with them and I was able to negotiate the shit out of that. But, um, I, I think group is coming back hundred percent. I think private and semi-private will always do really well. It just requires an operator who can scale that model efficiently, keep, you know, you got to be able to maintain a payroll budget and, and just drive enough profit out of it to get the owner operator out of doing the sessions. Well, um, mm-hmm. there's gotta be enough, you know, and, and that's why I think licensing I'm, I really, and I know I'm saying that hopefully selfishly because we launched the license model. If anyone has any, uh, something they think is quality that other people would pay for, and they don't want to franchise because it's very, very, very expensive and very, very difficult to do. And you, a crazy high barrier to entry to anyone else coming into it. But licensing, I see what CrossFit did, um, what NC Fit's done, Board 30, OPEX, a lot of these brands, OPEX is out of Scottsdale too. Um, right down the street. Yeah. I see that as a very, a very interesting opportunity for any micro gym owner who thinks they have something special. And then it's just about getting the good legal team with you to ride the fucking line. So that, you know, the SEC doesn't come to you and, uh, uh, FTC, whichever one it would be and chew your ass out. Cause you're technically now a franchise cause you're breaking the rules of what a license versus a franchise should be. That's great. I, w- I wanted to hear your take. You say group fitness is coming back. I- I'm I'm a little bit of the opposite. I I would tell you that the the average retention of an Orange Theory client's three months now. It's as low as three months. They they just at had its their peak. Do you know what what was it at its peak? I I don't know. Maybe nine months. It wasn't long, and and it, it's exactly for that reason that class pass. They're going to bounce around like a restaurant and a brewery and everything else. And I, and I do, and I think I've heard one of your, your uh, podcasts talking about it. it's selfish of us to think that we're going to be the only place that anybody ever trains. I, I could see that, but I, I'm very hard into the semi-private. I think it's yeah. the best of both worlds. I, I, I can see a large group training as a, an ascension ladder, uh, but to continue to replace clients and to continue to be the same as the other place around the corner and not have anything unique, no programmatic, like, you know, unique proprietary thing that you're at least marketing to, I think you're in trouble personally. I think, uh, you know, to the end user getting, you know, a bunch of people in a room getting sweaty is the same everywhere. If it's a CrossFit, it's the Correct. same thing as a boot camp, as Barry's boot camp or whatever. I feel like that's the same. I, I think with the semi-private model, you can maximize the coach revenue per hour as far as you can charge a lot more. Um, and we've done the math, like 12 years of kind of twisting and turning this uh, this business around and understanding the data that we have. We, we, we know the clients that pay the lowest, which is typically our large group training clients, anywhere from as low as it ever was, was 99 to 199. Like that range is a younger person. They're very, uh, I guess, they bounce around. They, they don't have roots in the ground either. They stayed with us 9.8 months. Like that's our average. Our clients that pay 350 and higher, that's our semi-private training model clients. They stay with us 36 months. Yes, they, they're older. You, you know, you're looking at the 40, 45, 50, 55-year-old client. 
And depending on where you're at, like in your young neighborhood, that may not be very plentiful, but I could tell you that those clients, they stay the longest, they pay the longest, they don't get married and run off to another state and get a new job. They're not very transient. They're not to flight risks. Yeah. And for, for me, you know, where we're at, um, I, I feel like that's a more stable model that we can kind of grow with and yeah. And we're, maybe we're, we're putting 10 to 12 clients that, but they're paying, you know, five grand a year to be here. It's a little bit higher. It's so funny because I, I, you know, Scottsdale's an affluent town in Arizona and you, yeah, you got guys that are going there and I bet you there are guys that do the semi-private and they get to talk with the instructor, the trainer about like, I'm mainly doing this. So I kick my buddy's ass at golf on Sundays, right? Like they're doing it. That, to, yeah. yeah. They're doing it to support a thing. And because, and they're also an affluent, sophisticated purchaser. People buy like they sell and they sell like they buy, right? If you're into, you know, if you buy expensive shit and you know, and you have obviously the financial means to do it, you look at something like, yeah, I want to, I want a trainer. I don't want to be one of 25 people in a class. It's interesting. Cause I've taught people like, would you run the same gym model you have now? If you were in Weddington, which is a really uh, affluent area in Charlotte, North Carolina, I'm like, fuck no. Like my entire model is built around young professionals, fresh out of college who love nothing more. Like they love the energy of being in a loud crowded bar. That's why they love the energy of being in a loud crowded urban movement with 24 people in class. Mm-hmm. They care less about the quality of the fitness. If one of my coaches does a yeah. D plus job, but the playlist was a plus, they wouldn't care. Mm-hmm. There'd be no bad marks, uh, no bad Google reviews. Now, again, the goal is to uh, make sure that doesn't happen and to ensure that there's still a high quality and something unique, right? Like, so we coined like our tempo training, which tempo isn't anything new. It's not a new ingredient. We just have a very unique recipe on it. You know, where CrossFit was everything lift heavy and lift fast. Everything we devise in our program is tempo based and which is a slight differentiator, but it's enough that we're able to attract a certain kind of client, someone who's tired of doing CrossFit because their shoulder fucking hurts or someone who mm-hmm. never wanted to try CrossFit, but they've always been intrigued by using a barbell. So like you find that white space in the middle of these things, but um, see, yeah, that's no, great. You have that unique, you have the unique reason why people come to you is because the reason they're not, this is what I always tell clients. The reason they're not getting in shape at your competitors because they don't have the tempo train. I need to go get the tempo train. That's the reason I need to go there because they're the only ones that offer it. You're the only one that offers it. And so that's very powerful in bringing people over, at least from competitors. But like, that's your, your unique mechanism for the results that you get. You can, you can shout that from the rooftop. That's the orange theories, orange zone. That's the P90X is muscle confusion. Yeah. That's Urban movements, tempo training yeah. that you can run hard with that yeah. one. So great job. Yeah. The, and I, I've made some content on this because everyone's, I, I get a lot of DMs. Everyone's asking like, how, how do I find my unique sales proposition? How do I find my niche? How do I find my, like what I call a white space? And it, you know, for me with CrossFit, I looked at what is CrossFit? It is moving these barbells ridiculously fast, doing these pull-ups ridiculously fast for time. But you know, if I buy new equipment, let's say this new piece of equipment comes out, my competitors can buy that. Even if I start yeah. doing these different kind of workouts, my competitors could copy that. Competitors for most of me being CrossFit gyms. Mm-hmm. However, what could I do that a CrossFit gym couldn't do? Cause it would literally break the gym. Like if any, and I've, I've had guys call me up like, Hey man, I need to apologize to you. I've been watching what you've been doing with urban movement for about four years now. 
And I'm not gonna lie, I even subscribed to the workouts and we literally changed everything. We got rid of our pull-up rig like you did. We hang the, we put the square, we did all this stuff. We do the tempo training. I lost 60 clients in the past three months because they hated it. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's, that's why I did it. Cause I know CrossFit gyms can't copy me on it. Cause it's, if you've got a established clientele base, you'd essentially be taking the menu that they all paid for ripping it up and pulling this other thing in. Yeah. And that's yeah. not what they wanted. I mean, I did it, but I was also able to afford, I mean, I had a bloodshed of cancellations when I rebranded and I went from CrossFit South end to urban movement. I did a slow, steady drip. And then when we finally ripped that bandaid off, Oh my God, financially, it hurt like crazy. Now we, we could withstand that financially, but and that's the nice, that's my insulation. That was my thing. Like, what could I do that CrossFit gyms couldn't immediately replicate because they probably don't have the uh, bandwidth financially to take the losses and lose all the clients, even if they're going to gain new ones who like this new thing. And see that that just shows your business acumen. The fact that you thought through all of that to know that that was going to happen and Nobody can copy, especially those guys. It sounds like those are your your biggest competitors. Yeah. We don't really compete with a CrossFit. Pure. No, yeah, especially with but, your thing. Yeah, we're we're just different. But but see, that just shows nobody's thinking that far down the road. Now with our new legacy thing, we've got a whole play there that I can't speak about yet. But like sure. we're we're running very similar, unique mechanism. I've got a, a business coach that uh, I look highly upon. He's um, we're, we're all flying. I have a, I have a mastermind called the iron circle, and he's coming to speak with, to us about this specific thing for each one of our iron circle members. And they're going to create their unique things at that yeah. event in Florida. And it's huge. Gyms are just not doing this. They all offer fitness. They all offer nutrition. They all offer accountability. When you all offer the same thing, at least the menu of things, maybe you do it a little different, but the, the end user sees fitness nutrition, accountability, everybody else is doing that. What's what place is the cheapest? That's the one I want to go. Yeah. The ingredients are all the same, right? Like mm -hmm. your guys use dumbbells, kettlebells, barbells, and training. Yep. We use dumbbells, kettlebells, and bar training. It's just the recipes are what's unique. Like I, I use pizza as the analogy all the time. Pizza is dough, cheese, pasta, fucking maybe some toppy. Like, but there's New York and there's Chicago style. There's a pizza place in town that you think is fucking revolting and a pizza place in town that you swear by you'd eat cold the next day. So like, it's just about the recipe of these things. None of us are really coming up with Uber new things. Now I do believe there's a, there's a, uh, a revolution of equipment coming. I think equipment currently right now is are so archaic. Mm -hmm. I think the seven foot barbell is the most archaic thing in the world for the group fitness model. It is insane to me to look at a gym who's paying out the ass in rent and they have 20 people with a seven foot barbell and one 10 on each side. And you have like four feet of all this wasted fucking space. When you add it all up, one of the first things we did is I got rid of all seven foot barbells. Every, we have a five foot barbell. It can go up to 275. None of my fucking clients need 275 pounds on the bar for what we do. Cause it's all tempo based training. And it, I, I can fit in six more people into a space that I previously oh, couldn't, you know, so those smart, giant yeah. pull-up rigs that are, you know, in every single CrossFit. I'm like, I look at those, like I looked at my, you know, my mom's uh, now that I look at my mom's like Nokia cell phone from like 1998. I'm like, Holy shit. You fucking talked into this thing. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it's one of these things where I just, uh, let me see what happened in my video here. I don't know what happened. Bingo. All right. Um, yeah, I, I think there's an equipment revolution. I think because of COVID, a lot of money got put into high operational capacity equipment. Um, I actually got sitting over here, a company called Anchor, A-N-C-O-R-E. It's this heavy fucking lead box and you can mount it to whatever. And it just, boom, it's a pulley system. It's a 
set up and move anywhere. Cool ass pulley system. And I mean, there are going to be gyms that are going to really benefit, I think, from like the new realm of, I think, high operational capacity equipment that's going to come on the back of 2020. This is good. This is a good conversation. Yeah, we're, we're kind of running into two different lanes. You, you're heavy in the, in the group, large group. What's your price points, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, so uh, we're, we're average price point right now, we're, we're at 189. Okay. So that, that was like our old, like our boot camp model, yeah, like yeah. our large group stuff. Um, we yeah, no personal training. Uh, none of that we used to back in the day when we were CrossFit gym, we were all personal training on the front end. Uh, but now it's a straight to class model, high volume. Very cool. Yeah. And, uh, so do you, do you know what your retention is on per member per month? Or yeah. So it's, it's, months? well, then it's the nice thing about being in a metropolitan area like Charlotte, uh, 94% of every one of our clients is, uh, an apartment dweller. They don't own a home cause they're downtown Charlotte. So it syncs up with apartments leases. So if they're in a lease, we ask the number one question, cool. Well, which apartment are you in? That one? Cool. When did you sign your lease? So we know 12 months from then is where we're really looking to make sure that the churn doesn't happen, but you're looking anywhere. You know, if they stay in the neighborhood 36 months, if they are in South End, which is my town and their apartment complex lease is up and there's another one in Noda, which is not only about 12 minutes away, but in Charlotte, downtown Charlotte, 12 minutes away might as well be two days away. Sure. Sure. You're not getting them. There's no re- there's, there's none of that. But every apartment complex is doing the marketing for us. They are refilling those seats in those apartments. It's so it's when you're in a nomadic area like that, it's a little bit different. But um, but yeah, continue. I apologize. No, no, I was just trying to understand the, the price. Well, yeah. So that's that large group training price point under 200 bucks. Yep. You know, one year deals, maybe, maybe six month deals for people. Yeah, we're we're so far the other way. We we are you know, four or $500 a month, which yeah. is, which is interesting, but we, I still like having the boot camp. We call it boot camp, but it's large group training. I still like having that it's metabolic conditioning for a entry point into our gym. So like somebody's never heard of us and they just walked in today to, to ask for $500 for a year, you know, 12 months. It's kind of an, it's a big ask. It's a, steep it's a price. big ask. Sure. But at the end of the day, we only need so many people to be profitable and, and I like, and I like that. And like I said before, typically they're going to be a little bit older client and they stay and they yeah. stay forever, forever. They stay forever. And you know, the nice thing is, is to it, it, a, a client with money who is a sophisticated, maybe, and again, joint income, that kind of thing. You just kind of know your area, right? If I, again, like I said, if I live, if I, I was opening up a gym in Scottsdale, urban movement would not be the model I'd go with. Why? Cause mm-hmm. I understand the market. I, you know, Charlotte, like urban movement was built around the idea that Charlotte, at least the district I'm in, is not going to change from this young professional 25 to 36 age range. It's not going to. The entire infrastructure is built for that kind of kid. Um, so it's like, that's what I do it around. Like, I, I don't know about you. I used to get so frustrated. I get gym owners who stayed in rural Ohio, 10,000 people in town, and they want to charge $200 a month. And it's one of those towns where Friday night lights, everyone goes to the football game yep. and that yep. everyone knows each other at the diner. I'm like, I love what you're, I love your vision. You picked the wrong geographical location. You just, you're not going to pull that off there at in group training at 200, which is a, you know, a scale model at 200. If you want to do, you want to find the top 20% of the earners in this town, you could totally charge them a high price to fucking keep them in shape and all that other stuff. But um, yeah, for everyone listening, you're, you are going to be victim to your market. You got, and you got to provide the market what they want, not just what they need. Yeah, that's true. And that, that, uh, that, uh, small town, Ohio kind of 
appealing to me. I, I'd love to live there. I'd love to go to the Friday Night Lights, man. I was reading an interview of yours from 2013. It was something they did in Arizona. And one of the questions was, you know, what's your ideal day? And it was something like get in my pickup truck with my family, roll down the windows and listen to some country and roll around, yes. you know, some offbeat road. I was like, I liked him. He's a good dude. I like, yeah. I mean, that's when I went to school in Louisiana, that was the world I lived in. I mean, I came from, you know, Phoenix metropolitan, you know, I think we're the number five largest city in the U S to Monroe, Louisiana, where, I mean, everybody has a pickup truck, a dog yeah. in the back. Awesome. I loved everything <laughs> of it. And, and, you know, and, and here we go. I brought this back with me. There's all my, my whiskey. Oh yeah. Right that's, oh, that you're my dude. Yeah. Are you whiskey or what, what, what's your, what's bourbons, your drink? Bourbons. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've got, I got so many here and that's yeah. uh, in our new place. We actually are building a bar, a bourbon bar right upstairs. And oh, that'll I love be kind of like the social area. Oh, dude, let me bar. know. I will come and shoot a vlog and get some content and, uh, and come film. I just got into smoking. Like I got a, I got a top and a gun and I've been smoking all my whiskeys at night. Like How Jefferson's. Is that? I've not got into it yet. Yeah. So, Jefferson reserve. Yeah. yeah. So I, I really like it even on my higher end whiskeys. I really like, and I mean, the key is just keeping the smoke in there for as long as possible. Yep. That a beaut, that's a beaut. Yep. And uh, I'm loving, I'm addicted to smoking. Uh, and I, I've done everything. I'm smoking ice cream. I'm smoking. What? I mean, like any, I, I smoked the margarita uh, on Saturday. I'm just, it just changes the taste or what you drink. With it the does. Smoke in there. And I'm not a smoky guy. Like I don't like scotch as much because of oh. the smokiness and the peatness in there. I don't like mezcal tequila for that same reason, but a good liquor that I like, like a whiskey with that smoke on top of it or a margarita, it just, it, it just hits different. I, I've just, yeah, I really liked it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go for it, man. Look yeah, up no, I, Middleton Mixology, Middleton okay. Mixology. They sell little tins of different wood chips, different flavors. So I've got like cherry, lime, oak, all this kind of stuff. They do a great oh, yeah. fucking job. Yeah. Love it. Yes. Yeah. No, we totally need to get together sometime, man. And uh, we'll, we'll crack a few bottles and, uh, and talk shop some more, but I really appreciate you taking the time to come down and just kind of talk shop with me, dude. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was good uh, to get your perspective uh, a little different than mine, but you know, both are successful and, you know, and I, yeah. you know, again, like I said, I, I enjoy your podcast. You're doing great things. So thank you. Man. Keep it up, man. I, you know, you know, in uh, respect to you on the, the real estate play. Cause that is, uh, that is, you know, for anybody listening, that, that is where you need to be looking. I mean, it's tough to get into. You do need to have some cash reserves. You do have to have some credit. You do have to have some business success somewhere for them to lend on. But yes, I, it's such a no brainer. Um, I, I wish I would have did it five years ago. hundred percent. Tim, yeah. um, if anyone listening wants to get in contact with you, they, they like the way you talk, they've got some questions. They'd like to learn more about what you could do for them. How can they reach you? Yeah, I think the easiest place, just go to the website, timlionsjr.com. So I got a little deal with the, you know, so it's got our podcast links on there and some, you know, a form if you want to get in touch, but uh, that's usually the best way to go. Awesome. My man, thank you so much for your time today. I hope you have a great weekend. All right, Stu. Appreciate you, man.